What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Questions You Never Thought to Ask, the Whitewater Kayak Podcast. I'm Seth Ashworth, and this week we're going to have one of the most exciting podcast episodes that many people have asked for uh, with Brent Orton. But just before we get started, I'd like to say thank you to the people who support this podcast on Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding platform where you can chip in a couple of bucks every month to help me keep this podcast alive. Those people really do make this happen and I couldn't do it without them. So big shout out to those people. And if you are interested in helping out with this podcast and also getting to hear the podcast before it comes out on general release, you can check that out at patreon.com slash Seth Ashworth. All right, that's enough of that. Enjoy this episode, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Peace. Welcome back to Questions You Never Thought to Ask, the Whitewater Kayak Podcast. I'm Seth Ashworth, and this week I'm interviewing one of the most requested kayakers uh, to be interviewed on this podcast, Mr. Bren Orton, all the way from the UK. Bren, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, mate. Um, really fired up on this one. I want to say there was hundreds and hundreds of requests Um to have you on but that would be untrue but i could say at least a dozen <laughs> at least some requests and, to uh, have you on but more than uh more than most other people uh in terms of like where i'm like hey who who you guys want to see on the podcast next um so that's you know you got a following <laughs> cheers mate thanks <laughs> thanks to everyone thanks to everyone for asking seth to have me on there's no way i would have got invited without you guys um plugging away and asking him to have me on the show so stoked to be here no it's good and for people who don't know do you want to just give give them a i'm gonna give a, a, a one-line explanation of bren orton um young ginger kayaker from warrington who made it made it big in the internet kayak world by almost swimming over a huge waterfall and then luckily not and, you know, a list, a string of other achievements after this. But I would say that was the tipping point, uh, breaking moment. Would you agree? No. Okay. Um, Let's talk about that then. What do you think? What was the what was the breakthrough moment of your kayak career? I, I think for me... Your it was, digital kayak career, not your actual kayak career. I think for me, when I, when I started getting known or like people started hearing my name more, it was when I was on tour with Dem Shits for the first time, okay. which was when that swim happened towards the end of the first year tour with him. And uh, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily attribute the swim to the knowledge. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's where some people heard my name, but I think other people would hear it of just like the like the better moments and the progress that I was making from like hanging out with dem shits and learning how to creek boat. And then a few people definitely still bring that that uh, that moment up. Most specifically, John Weld. I mean. It was a legendary save by Dave Facilli. Yeah, but ju- I, yeah, I can believe it. Like, ju- uh, oh, mate, un- unreal. Like, the yeah. amount of people that can pull that off, you can count them on the two fingers. Yeah, not even not out, even a whole hand, like, mate. To wiggle out of your boat in that tiny little rock. Dude, like, clip yourself to it. And then yeah. just the athleticism as well. Like, Dave, like, hit me. And then me. to make that one perfect throw mate. and reel you in. Because yeah. like, the extra line was paying out. And you can see in the video, it's like, oh, my God, it's, it's going to pay out and pull them over the waterfall. And they're both going to go over it. Totally, mate. But yeah, I think I, that was a scary time for sure. Good learning experience. But I, I think that's that going on tour with Dem Shits, that's when I first started getting a bit of recognition just from being in the videos with Dave and making other edits and all of that stuff. So let's. I had a bunch of questions lined up here and we got a bunch of audience questions to get into. Um, and I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who contributed a question. Not all of them were in the, the theme of this podcast, questions you never thought to ask. Some of them were a bit too... Uh, what I would describe as on topic, um, and by that I mean like kind of the kayaking questions and the favorite rivers and uh, 
it's kind of the usual interview stuff that if you Google Bren Orton interview, you can find out the answers for on your own. So if you sent a question that was more on topic, I'm sorry, it probably won't make it in here, but feel free to Google Bren Orton interview and most of the answers you can get there. Um, we're going to skip ahead. I've got a bunch of things I want to talk about, but since we we're just talking about the, the Demschitz van, traveling around in the, the Demschitz van seems like a, was, a, like you said, a big breaking point for you, a big turning point. Um, but what were some, what were some of the most notable, like character building moments? What were the times where you're like down in the dumps, low on food and where you're like, this is making me better. Like what could you put one, is there one experience you have with the Demschitz boys that was like, or Demschitz crew? Cause you're like, yeah, some ladies there too. Um, what, what, tell us about that. Your most character building Demschitz experience. Mate, the, the Demschitz crew honestly looked after me so well, especially with the partnership with Piranha and everything like that. There are very few low points of that tour, you know, like what you're asking about, they're not eating and stuff that came when I was out on my own in Uganda and stuff for like where food was a luxury and all, all that other fun stuff that goes with dirtbagging. We were a Demschitz tour. It wasn't necessarily glamorous in like lifestyle, but you know, there was always food. They were sponsored by a beer company at the time. So there was always beer to drink. It was, it wasn't really like I was roughing it that hard. It was more just a struggle to keep up because those guys and girls are all legendary kayakers, you know, Dave Fasili and the Sila brothers especially. And then I was also on tour with Matt Anger and Mike Patterson, who are epic kayakers. And I was the young buck. I'd never been in a creek boat before. I was, I was really just, I was just running so hard to try and keep up with those guys. That was, that was the hardest thing with Demshits, I would say. And, and just like, you know, the party scene that goes along with it, you know, those guys like to have a good time and, uh, Definitely, definitely a solid learning curve in, in partying. Yeah, I mean, it does sound like um, that's, that's a, some strong character building moments. Like any time where you're immediately running because you know you're the weakest guy, in, in the, you're the weakest link in the chain. And if you're not working 120% to, to keep the chain, that it's going to break. That, that's a stressful, a stressful, but like a good stressful, you know, and it's, um, it's, you can see how it's like uh, how you you made progress on that tour and like that first tour and the second tour and the third tour and you can you can see that like where you go from running to keep up in like tour number one almost swing over the big waterfall to like tour number two or three where you're like if you go back through those old YouTube videos it's it's gnar it's like you look a lot more solid and together you know thanks man I appreciate that that's that's definitely a when I, when I view like a pivotal moment in my kayaking skill level and just the, my viewpoints in kayaking and the type of kayaking that I want to do going on tour with Demshits for three years was huge. Like it was, it was the most insane learning curve, especially within creaking. Cause like freestyle, I would always, I'd already hung out in Nottingham for a long time. I'd already been to Uganda and surf big waves, but creaking, I was literally just throwing, throwing myself at it and seeing what would stick. And, uh, it was definitely when I was on tour with Demshits, I was, surrounded by this like by you know these amazing kayakers with this great just atmosphere behind them and there were very few times where Dave would tell me I couldn't do something but he'd make me very aware of like what could go wrong and uh unfortunately things did go wrong once or twice and um it was a good learning experience and I came back and ran the waterfalls and drops that I messed up again and it went well but it was it was definitely um trial by fire for that first year or two at least yeah I always think it's kind of a it's like the worst end of the story because that uh, going back to that original example we used, the like hammer hammer waterfall. It's like the next time you do it, you have a really great line, but nobody cares about seeing that, Dude, no. that clip. Like it's like I've only seen that clip one time, but I've seen you almost over it like a handful of times, and 
I, th I think it's really sad that it's a lot of people are just happy to pick up that one negative and they don't want to know the redemption story. Totally, mate. I mean, that's that says more to me about people's nature than anything else, you know? It's like people... For me, the people that focus on that stuff and they don't want to look at the bigger picture of, like, did he go back and run it again? Was it successful or whatever? The people that just focus on the negatives, to me, are insecure in themselves, you know? And then at that point, I don't really care. <laughs> but, yeah, I definitely appreciate that you saw the, the second lap down and I'm... I'm so happy that went well. That was, honestly, I've I've ran, I've, I've ran a couple of hard rapids since then, one or two. But that is the most nervous I have ever been getting in my kayak. I was almost, I was almost throwing up, putting my spray deck on. But that was a key moment for me with my kayaking career because I was like, I, you know, like if I don't get back in this creek boat and try and run this waterfall again, I just don't know if I, I will ever do it again. You know, like, I, I think it would have been really easy for me to shy away from it and be like, well, I've tried this, this creaking and waterfall thing and it's really scary. Yeah, that was that was your easiest out right there. <laughs> totally. Like, like, to, to not take it and to go back and to be like, yeah, I actually did it again a second time and was really successful and really successful in all these other areas. It is such a strong story that I'm, like, kind of disappointed gets <laughs> overlooked so Thanks, often. Bro. You know, I think those redemption stories are really sick. Um, your main mentor with Demshit, Dave Fasili, um, is... Is still much much physically stronger than you. Um, how does that make you feel? And like, how was it having Facilia as that kind of mentor, or still having him as that kind of mentor? Dude, it's amazing. Like, Dave is one of my best friends, and definitely the person that I look up to most in kayaking and and even in life. Just how Facilia rolls through rapids and rolls through life is is pretty inspiring to me. You know, because he's just a cool dude trying to have a good time with his best friends. That's all he's trying to do. He's not necessarily trying to go out there and, and like set waterfall records but even though he's run some huge ones and he's not you know trying to ball out and in, in lifestyle with you know all the riches that come with that he's just trying to have a good time with his friends and he you know he's anyone that's met Dave will know how amazing his personality is but yeah just just a really great role model and just how he treats people you know how he acts through life and the friendships that he has and how he manages to manages to maintain them all because I mean you'll have the same any kayaker that's been in the game for a while will have the same you just meet so many awesome people it's hard finding a way to manage that and uh, I think Dave crushes it and you know just kayaking style you know especially I feel like now I'm slowly catching up to him but Dave has just such a floaty style through the rapids like he like the first time I went on tour with Dave to get down a rapid I would take 20 to 30 strokes David take two you know and then the next tour I cut that down a little bit and the next tour I cut it down recent years I cut it down even more but Dave just like floats and rudders through rapids and I find that style so sick what um so he's still obviously much stronger than you he's got mad old man strength well mate it, how does that make you feel mate it's a bit tragic really because for a few years Dave wasn't hitting the gym that hard he's still a big strong athletic dude but I, I would say I was stronger in the gym and then about a year ago I was I was training really hard with Dave's little brother and Dave was seeing us go to the gym late at night and all of this stuff and he was like, yeah, I might get a gym membership, you know, it could be fun. And he gets a gym membership like six months ago and boom, all of a sudden he's benching like 250, he's repping out, he's repping out weighted pull-ups with like, I, I can't even throw a number at it. Someone's, yeah, he's, Dave, he's definitely channeling his old man's strength dude. in a way which like I'm sure must make you salivate with all the amount of time you spend um, in the gym with uh, with Dave as a, as a mentor, obviously, like you gained and grew a lot. What are you doing to mentor others, or ha like, is there anyone in particular you've been mentoring, or are you interested in mentoring uh, youths of the future, or would you say you've been mentoring peers? 
and like kind of paying that mentor cycle forward. Mate, it's funny you say that because there's a um, there's a kid called Kalen Friedenson, mm-hmm. and I call Kalen. Kalen's been like a good little buddy for a while. But I I met Kalen at the NLC, and the thing that stuck out to me is I meet a lot of kids, and I really appreciate when we come up and ask questions because it's the same thing I did. And I always try and give good answers, but what always disappoints me is when they ask questions about sponsorship and all of that stuff. Because it, I, I just don't care, you know. Yes. I don't it, like it doesn't bother me. It, it's, it's of little interest. And, but Kalen came up and he's like, "If I put my paddle further back towards my knees, will that give me? Will that give me more leverage for the pirouette of my phonics monkey?" And I was like. Yes, yes, it will. And you can also counter angle if you're struggling, or pre angle if if you're struggling with rotation. Whatever you you know, like all these points. And it it was just cool to have a kid that was so interested in doing tricks that nothing else mattered to him. You know, and it was the same thing that I had. Is like I just want to learn how to do this move. I don't care about anything else. You know, I've got my kayak that I'm in right now. I've got my paddle. That's all I need. I just what I really need is just to learn how to do this trick any tips would be hugely appreciated. And then the way that that kid broke tricks down in his mind is honestly pretty similar to how I break tricks down. You know, it's really analytical and, and unobjective. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's a different way of looking at doing a trick. It's, it's really, it breaks down every single thing, like the paddle angle, the body position, the boat position, the force, all of that stuff. And I was blown away by that. And the kid was like 12 years old when I met him. He's 15 now, although I still t- I still call him 12 years old. But that, I call him Kid Future now. That's my nickname for him. But I'm trying to mentor him a little bit. Not so much as mentor, but just be the friendly older kayaker that gives advice and tries to help him out when I can, which is everything Dave was to me. Yeah, I can say for sure that's working because in Uganda, he beat me in the Dead Dutchman Bodacross race by one boat length. And I was completely dead, like internally shattered that I couldn't let on to him at the time to be beaten by a kid literally half my age. I was 28 at the time and he was 14. It was harrowing to be like basically pushing his kayak to the finish and but just not quite <laughs> able to push hard enough to get him out of the way. Maybe. It was uh, so I guess your mentoring's paying off now. That's cool to hear, man. I mean that boat across anything can happen and he actually beat me in that race as well. I will uh, I'll give my excuses now in case Kalen's listening, but I had a broken rib yeah. and uh that's my anything main ex- else you want to get on the table? I was tired. <laughs> I hadn't eaten anything that morning. Yeah, I'm old. Uganda's really sunny. Um, yeah, a harsh place for a ginger. Yeah, you're, you're a ginger. How have you overcome your ginger disability to like kind of maintain an outdoorsy lifestyle? And you're uh, kayaking quite a lot. And obviously the sun is beating down on your, on your fair skin and just, cr- just crunching down in yeah, there. What, uh, what are some things you're doing to help... What can you advise to fellow gingers to overcome the sun? A lot of long sleeve t-shirts, um, some good sun cream, try and get the stuff that doesn't fuck up the ocean reefs. Um, How do it, people know what that is? You can normally check on it. It normally says it, like most companies that, that make stuff that doesn't fuck up the ocean reefs are pretty proud of it and display it on the back of the packaging, but it's just something to look for. And anything zinc, I find amazing for like the hands and the face. That's huge, even though it makes you look like a huge dork. Well, not so much of a dork, more of like a clown. Um, and yeah, hats and sunglasses. Yeah, I'm super pro. Uh, I'm pro zinc. Yeah, mate. It, I mean, it's cool because you put it on once, you're good for at least a day, if not two days, I mean, three days. Like, once you uh, once you're grown up enough to have a beard, it gets stuck in your beard. You can you can have it in there four or five days. Like uh, <laughs> if you're not if you're not really active on your beard care, it's like it's all up in there. Nightmare. Oh, it's the worst. Um, 
going back to kind of kayaking media clips, you had a uh, kayaking clip on the Ellen DeGeneres show, which for people who are not US listeners, it's like a really big daily uh, talk show. It's like one of the biggest audiences in the US. I think it's like right after Oprah in terms of like that. It's like comparable in terms of daily viewership. Um, uh, Ellen DeGeneres is like a, a character who's like, uh, she has his like talk show. And you were like able, I don't know how it came about to sell a, a kayaking clip to them. But the one it was, was one of the most middle of the road, in my opinion, lame kayak clips out there. It was like a front loop in Inlet Gate in HPP Nottingham, which is like, you know, you can see the same clip from 100,000 different people probably. Um, and it would look very similar to the clip that you were able to, to get away with to, to, or to, to, um, to get on the, on the show there very briefly. Were you disappointed by that? Do you see it as a missed opportunity? Like, what was your feelings on the situation? Uh, I mean, there's obviously hundreds, if not thousands, of better, better, cooler clips in my eyes that they could have taken. But the thing that stood out for me that was cool is obviously, like all big companies in production, is, is they go through a media agency. And the media agency had seen some of my stuff. And they had a huge selection of stuff to pick out. And they chose that one. And I think that the... The reason it got picked is they were doing a part in a show called like Pass or Fail or like Yes or No or whatever, whatever it is, Fail or Win. And so obviously I plug in for a front loop. It looks like I'm just going to like land on my face. And then all of a sudden there's a front flip in a kayak and not, none of the audience had seen that. And so that's why I think they picked the clip. And um, I honestly, so when the, when the agency bought this clip, they were like, just so you know, we have permanent lifetime rights to this clip for this amount of money. And I was like, oh, oh no, it's such a highly valuable clip. I don't know if I could ever do that again. In reality, I mean, I, I don't even want to think about how many uh, how many loops on camera I have in Inlet Gate. Like, and I can think back to Dude. 10 years ago and seeing like a smaller, skinnier brand with different colored equipment doing the exact same thing. And to see, like to see how big like the viewership that one clip got it was like ah i was so disappointed it was like this is kayaking's big shot at daytime tv it was like oh it kind of fell flat for me you know totally mate well i mean my thing is i, I was stoked with the media agency bought the clip and then they told me they'd sold it to a tv show and i was like sweet send me a link when it's out. And then they were like, oh, it's going to be on the Ellen show. And I was like, what? Yeah. And I was like, I know you've just bought this clip, but I will give you some other clips for free because I think it'd be way cooler. And then I, off I offered them a bunch of stuff, you know, like drone waterfalls, downriver freestyle, big wave tricks, you know, like all sorts of stuff. Your, full, it, your full repertoire, you could say. Yeah, they, they were not interested. They wanted, they wanted the inlet gate front loop. <laughs> I just don't understand. I don't know. Like, I guess that's the, a bit of a disconnect sometimes. Maybe kayakers... Maybe there's more we can be doing to kind of like separate that disconnect. But it's so sad for me when you see um, like a really big, like a, a viewership TV show and they pick up something which is just not the coolest part of our sport. No doubt, mate. But I think the, I think the general public, for whatever reason, has the perception that there's not that much skill in kayaking and you're just crazy and you're just throwing yourself down things and you're not doing anything on purpose. Whereas like, the, you know, the skill and experience level needed to drop a waterfall pretty big especially you know not like a simple like flat to vert to flat again like you know like a waterfall with a lead in takes a lot of lot of experience and a lot of skill to pull off and yeah I'm always I'm always the same as you mate I'm always disappointed on what they pick up on because I mean probably the most viewed kayaking clip of all time is Benny and Rush sending the ditch 
I think actually Dane's uh, with the wake boat one is. Pretty, is that surpassed it now? It, I don't know. I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but I bet it's right there. Okay. I seem to get like I seem to get tagged in that video on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Like I still get like picked up in it pretty frequently, and I'm like, yeah, I know that guy. Like, yeah. Well, at least that's a little bit different because that's like two uh, two huge boats the, combining the di- the to make a. The one just drives me insane. I'm like, I don't. I don't understand how all the viral kayaking videos are the like the worst aspects of our sport. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure other other sports struggle with that as well. I guess, but but man. Yeah, I. I think just the the story of kayaking as a sport has to get told a little bit better. Yeah. And. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think people can do to help tell that? Like, I mean, that's ultimately, especially if you look at your and yours and Adrian's YouTube channel, there's like a lot of really great stories and the two of you working together is really, gives a strong platform for telling stories, which I really like. And I think most of the people who subscribe to it are subscribed because they enjoy the way that the two of you tell stories. What can people do to tell those stories better in a way that's a bit more relatable for like the, the average the average Joe, the non-kayaker, maybe the like, the the weekend paddler, like three weekends a year. May I? I think it, I think it's all just about being relative and approachable, you know, and not trying to make it out to be something that it's not. Because a lot of people will fear monger and try and like stoke it up that something it's not really is, you know, something that it isn't really trying to be because. Even even with myself and my crew, even though it's about trying to find the biggest, baddest white water we can, there's, there's not that many days out there where we're like truly, absolutely terrified of something wrong going, of something wrong happening. You know, it's very few and far between. Most of the days are spent just outside in beautiful places, having a sick time with our best friends, and that's that. I think is something that everyone can relate to because if, if you know if you're not striving for that in your life, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. I mean, I, I, I feel exactly the same way. If you're not like, for me, kayaking is a lot about the people I go kayaking with. I was sending someone the other week, I was like, increasingly I go on trips with the people I want to go on trips with and not to the places I want to go. And I kind of care more about being on those trips with the people I want to be on those trips with rather than where we are. Um, and I have started to choose my future trips more carefully based on who I'm going with because it makes a bigger impact on me than being alone somewhere cool and then having to meet new people and hope they work out mate 100 percent. the people that you go on your trip with either make it or break it and unfortunately you only have to go on that you only have to go on that one trip where someone is a pain in the ass in group dynamics and just everyday decisions where you're like nah never again and that's why I, I personally feel so lucky that i always had when i was coming up i was always had the dem shits crew a little bit out to lunch at times but always just motivated to go kayaking which is my number one thing I want to do on a trip. And then the, the send boys, you know, always just so motivated. It's that, that for me is like when I'm looking for people to kayak with, I want people that are down to get up early to get the best levels, down to drive to the rivers, down to, you know, go and explore and, and all the other stuff rather than just stay and do the same things over and over again. So you're part of uh, one, one quartet of kayaking's hottest boy band right now, send, um, <laughs> As a, a foursome, you, Adrian, Caleb, Dane, uh, have been really crushing the video game. You're like out there. You're planning events now with Unleash, which is going really well. Um, where do you see the future of this boy band? Is it going like kind of boys to men? You're going to get old and retire? Are we going like 
um, Backstreet Boys? Are you going to split up and like go Justin Timberlake and do your own thing? Like, what what do you think that is the the boy band future for Send? Nay, I, you know, I think we, you know, we started just as friends, and I don't know if it'll ever finish. I hope it goes on forever. But I, if if Send or Unleashed whatever to end, I would hope that we were all still friends after the fact. That's my that's my most important thing. Is although. Although I'm stoked because through Send and Unleashed, I get to kayak with my best friends more in more epic places and push myself not only with my kayaking, but my filmmaking and all the other things that go along with it way harder. But the most important thing to me is that we're all still friends for it, you know, and there's definitely been not not any times where it's been close to falling out, not even close at all, but there's definitely been times where for whatever reason, people have gotten a little bit stressed out about stuff with business and sponsorship relationships and etc i'm like man I, I just like i know that's important but the most important thing for me is that we you know we just hang out and have fun together you know like i'm so down to work hard but anytime where we're getting stressed and we're we're not you know we're not interacting with ourselves as we normally do and people are getting moody i'm like i'm not this is this is this is not why i'm doing this but luckily that's very few and far between moments probably like two in the last three years so That's we're doing pretty good i think um like obviously i've been like lucky enough to be an unleash athlete at all three unleashes now and for me it's like my favorite whitewater event it's kayaking with a lot of people who i love kayaking with who i maybe don't necessarily get to kayak with all the time because their schedules are busy um it's always in some fantastic kayaking like the kayaking we do on those trips is great and it's kind of tiring and exhausting a lot of driving but it's always really fun um where do you like for me it's it's like the best it's like everything i want from a kayaking trip it's like more than one day um all my best friends some of the best kayaking in the world for me it's like already as good as as good as it needs to be where do you think the future of unleashed is in maybe let's say two years time let's say there's going to be an i don't know if there is let's say there's going to be an unleashed next year where do you see the one after that being uh, man, well, first of all, thanks for the kind words, Seth. We're always stuck to have you unleashed. Great person to have around on and off the water, mate. But for me, the future of Unleashed, like, for my thing with Unleashed is although there's some absolutely incredible competitions out there and there's all different levels and, and genres of competitions, there was no competition that I saw that really motivated me throughout the year to work on my entire skill set. And you'll know this because you've competed at multiple Unleashes, but you've got a not only do you have to be good at big wave freestyle racing, you know, both in a time trial and a boat across format and with a freestyle big trick and best ride, but you also have to be adaptable to any spot at a given date. You have to be able to just show up and, and rock it really, you know, like there's very few days where we're actually like, this is the course, this is your practice time because the levels are just exploding. And there's, there's so many factors that go into doing well at that event. It's not just about skill set, you know, it's about like outlook, mental toughness honestly because it's not easy because you're constantly for the seven to ten day window that the event happens you're just dealing with the unexpected every single day and uh, some people rise to that and other people not not crumble but they have a hard time with it you know and that that has been expressed before but my, my main motivation with Unleashed has been to create a way for other kayakers to earn money to go kayaking and that's what I feel like we're all pushing for and so my ultimate goal within the next few Unleashed events is to be able to pay athletes to come you know whether that's travel expenses or a wage 
for them to be on the tour, sort of inspired by the ASP tour and surfing, but that's that's what I'm aiming for, is to create basically like a mini pro tour in kayaking. And so, if you know, getting invited to Unleashed is not easy because there's only a select few kayakers that we can trust in their skill set to come and compete on this white water because it's, it's enormous and if you mess up, things are going to go wrong real quickly. And the best way for us to maintain safety is to invite the people that aren't necessarily going to get into trouble and aren't going to have to rely on the safety team, even though we have great safety set up at the events. It's, you know, it's like prevention is better than cure. And, um, and so that's, that's the main motivation really is to try and get it to a point where if you get invited to Unleashed, you're going to basically get, you, you're going to get a free trip out of it at the very least. You're going to get flown into Quebec. You're going to have money each day to go and buy food and gas and all of that stuff. And you're going to have a sick time. And if you win Unleashed, I want people to be able to fund their entire year, if not more. And that sort of comes from Rob Deerdeck with Street League. You ever, I don't know if you ever saw that, but he set up a, a sick um, skateboarding competition. And it, it's basically, it's hard, but it, I mean, it's super, super hard and gnarly. But if you can win Street League, then you can basically put down the deposit on your house. And, uh, and that's, that's the ultimate dream, you know, is to create something that's accessible for people and a viable way for kayakers to make money. Because it's a, it's, a, it's a hard game to make money through kayaking. And how do you think um, having a, a kayakers pro tour will impact the sport of kayaking as a whole? <laughs> I've got some ideas on this and thoughts, and I'll tell you afterwards. But, well, and I, I'll tell you my thoughts on this, before, and then you can tell me your thoughts. Like, well, so you think of your answer, what I answer. But I think if there was more money at the very top end of kayaking, it would help increase the amount of people coming into the funnel, right? If you think about kayaking as a funnel with the people who are just starting this year and they're going to do their first roll and their first class two and they're the widest part of the funnel. And then you think about people who are participating on leashes like the narrowest part of the funnel. I think the more the narrow funnel is sucking down and people are fired up. Um, and people fired up on... Oh, I lost my train of thought. I think the more the more people who are in that, like who are pushing to be in that bottom part of the funnel and the more they're getting people, other people excited about how much they're progressing is pulling people into that top part of the funnel where they see that, that person at their far end and they're like, man, that guy's having the best time all the time. I want, I want a piece of that. Maybe not the whole piece, but just like, you know, a few weekends a year, I want to be having that best time. And I think if there was more people um, in that, like, like you say, like the, the pro a pro league style, and I'm using air quotes for the people listening at home. If there's more, if there was more funding for like something like a a pro tour or a a pro competition or like a cash level competition where you could legitimately like pay for your expenses to like keep pursuing the dream, I think it would help like kind of pull people in with the gravity of it because it's not. You're not just paying for those people because they're good at kayaking. You're paying for them because they're good at sharing kayaking with other people. And it's by sharing kayaking with more people, it's sucking in more more people. You know, it's like everyone's everyone's circle is getting bigger. The more you can like suck them in. Yeah, I agree, mate. Those are some good points for sure. I mean, to sum up what you just said, I I agree that if there's that it's all connected and there's levels to it. And so if the top level is earning more money by nature of that, then the lower levels are also going to have more money and, and vice versa. And, but I, I think it's important that I don't think that there's actually, there's none, there's, there's no kayakers I've met that pursue it to the level where they could come and compete at unleashed, but whether in it for the money, they're not, 
But for me, I, f I find it quite dissatisfying that people can have such an insane skill level and so much passion, but they then have to go and work a job that they're not really that interested in to fund the dream. And I just wonder where the skill level and the progression in kayaking could go if we were like, okay, you, if, you know, you love kayaking, it's your number one thing to do and you, and you want to do this and this in the sport here's the money that's that's all you've got to focus on and you know it works both ways because I think that for myself being able to have the singular focus as, focus of kayaking over the last few years has helped massively with progression but then there's other people like Svenny Lamler that they like having the contrast you know like Sven has to go to school and study but then when he gets off school he's just an animal because he's been pent up for a couple months you know so I, I see both sides to it but my main thing is to again going back to the kids and asking questions and stuff is like the wide hell belief is that you can't earn money in kayaking and that is a load of bollocks and it's not like there's tons of money at the top end because there's not but at the age of 24 I can now fund myself to do basically what I want in, in a year and I think that hopefully in another year or two then I'll make enough money to help out my mum and my friends and all of that stuff so it is it is totally possible but when I was a kid no one would no one would ever have that thought you know no one would share that thought with you of like you know what you can do this you can make a living out of this you might not be a millionaire out of it but you're going to be able to fund yourself to to follow your passion and what could be cooler than that you know no one no one had that perspective and for me i just want to create the belief in the kids coming up that you know what if i work hard at it and i you know try my best and i do this and that that i can get to that point where i earn money through kayaking yeah i think you know like when like, if we go back 10 years, like, the internet wasn't at the maturity that it is now. Um, like, 10 years ago, it was more cautious or maybe more prudent to say, well, there's no money in kayaking. And now that we, you know, the internet is where it is, social media is where it is, like, sharing experience is where it is, things are changing. And I think that's great. And I think Unleashed is a really great way to keep that change going and keep it going in a positive way. Um and I'm super stoked about it. Thanks, mate. Let's change gears again. Okay. You're an exercise junkie. Um, a lot of people message me to say you skip leg day. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about skipping leg day? Um, have you ever used steroids? Would you consider it? Um, as far as skipping leg day goes, I just view them as a pointless muscle to train because, as everyone will know, there's no biceps in your legs. So, what are you, you going to train? It's pointless. Um, <laughs> No, but no, for real, I, I actually, I do train legs a little bit, but it's not my focus at all because I'm trying to keep as light as I can in my kayak. And I, at the end of the day, I just want my legs to be functional and I just want them to work. And so I, I do more running and more body weight stuff than I do like heavy compound lifts on legs because I'm not trying to build up huge oaks that I then have to stuff in my kayak and weigh myself down with. I'm just trying to have like strong legs that can endure, you know, hiking hiking into creeks in California for days on end. Um, okay, so there you go. That's putting it to rest. All the people who messaged me on Instagram and wanted to know about why Brent skipped leg day, now you know his excuse. Um, change your gears again. Previous guests to the podcast, Ben Stooksbury, Russ Sturgis, are uh, pretty hard-out vegans, uh, and they're advocating for it pretty aggressively now. You have been eating vegetarian for a long time. What's your stance on people being vegan and, and people especially who... Um, whose identity is like really linked to what they eat. <laughs> Seth, you ever, 
You ever come up with a saying where you're like, that's good, I'm going to write that down. I'm gonna, I, I'm this a, is exactly why I'm a copyright this. Up. Yeah, um, a, no, I haven't ever brought up a saying I want to copyright, Bren. Why don't you tell me about a, it? Uh, well, this is copyrighted to me. No one else is allowed to use it. Otherwise, you have to pay me a dollar each time, um, like a similar game that I you own, play. Oh, you're a tad, bro. <laughs> I use this statement pretty often. Uh, anyway, my, my statement on the whole veganism thing is, and uh, vegetarian thing is that I've... I've well, first of all, I should say it's a great stance to take for multiple reasons, but my belief is that you should never trust anyone that defines themselves by what they put in their mouth. And so when people, and so, you know, like it, eating food, although it's a, you know, you do it a lot, but it's, it's a relatively small part of your life. And I'm all about people making conscious decisions and trying to be less impactful on the planet and I think that by avoiding eating a lot of animal products and you can take some of the, a little bit of the suffering out of the world for the animals and I'm super into that. But that does not define who you are. It doesn't make you a good or a bad person. And more importantly, the, the, there's nothing that upsets me more is when people try and push their beliefs on someone else, whether that's religion, politics, food, you know, etc. I'm like, it doesn't. I'm like, if I, if I was, if I had a question I asked you, it'd be different. But when you come up and tell me that without asking, then I'm sort of inclined to just, you know, instinctively, I'm like, even if you're making good points, because I haven't asked and you've tried to force it on me, I'm just, you know, my, my hackles are up and I'm like, nah, fuck you and your points, fuck that, you know? And I just, maybe that's my nature, but I think a lot of people share that point. And that's why I never, re like, I never really identify as being a vegetarian or a vegan or whatever, because my thing is I eat exactly what I want to eat I just don't eat meat and I, I really limit the other foods that I eat because I'm trying to be less impactful on the planet but it doesn't it doesn't define me it doesn't define anyone I'm just me personally that's what I'm trying to do I'm trying to because my carbon footprint sucks from all the traveling I do I'm trying to look at other areas in my life where I can help minimize it and my biggest thing with the whole diet thing is that especially in school I you know I got brought up on like a probably the same things that everyone got taught is like you need carbohydrates for energy carbohydrates come from pasta you know you need meat for protein protein comes from meat and eggs but that's it some milk but not vegetables and you need this amount of protein and all of that stuff and the the thing that really made me turn to a, a diet that doesn't have meat in it is living in uganda and hanging out with the local boys like yusuf sadat musa and for people that haven't been to uganda the local safety kayakers are jacked like they basically they're beyond jack dude they're like dude, massive super strong dudes like i feel like every time i speak to them i don't upset them because they might rip my arms off like a lego character yeah mate. look luckily they're super friendly but oh. but like they they honestly they look they look like hercules they look like you know some sort of superman they're absolutely jacked and just so shredded it's insane and so hanging out with them i was like damn i want to i want to look like these guys and be as strong as these guys i was like okay cool so you you kayak all day and you train in the gym and you go running. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm down with that. And then what do you eat? And a lot of the times they're just eating rice and beans, you know, meat here and there on rafting trips. But a lot of it is just rice and beans. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take that. I'm just, give me my bowl of rice and beans. That's, that's what I'm going to do. And my biggest thing is everyone talks about switching diets, how they feel better and all of that stuff. And there's definitely, you know, points to that that make sense because if you eat more vegetables, you're taking in more water. If you're more hydrated, you're going to feel better, all the vitamins. But my thing is when I ate meat, I felt pretty healthy. And when I, sorry, when I, when I was eating a diet with meat, I feel like I was eating pretty healthy. And when I switched to a diet without meat, I feel like I was eating pretty healthy. And I noticed no difference whatsoever in 
how strong I was or how fat I was or how I felt in the general life or anything. I noticed no difference and that was when I was like, yep, this works, I'll keep doing this. An interesting thing like I spoke about with uh, Benny Mar about uh, on like healthy eating and, and exercise and stuff uh, a few podcasts ago and he was like, the biggest change you can make is just eating better quality food and whether that's like with meat or without meat like if it's not processed it's going to be better for you and if it's like not covered in chemicals it's going to be better for you and it's not rocket science it's just like stop buying all that shit that's packaged and then start eating stuff that's like real food and Did, you'll see a difference mate 100 percent, i agree with that and and also you know you don't have to live your life by a code necessarily you know like for me with my kayaking what what makes me happiest about it is it like it doesn't fit inside a box you know you can't be like oh he's a freestyler or oh, he's a waterfall kayaker or he you know he's like or oh, he's big waves or anything you know it's like i do whatever the fuck i want in my kayak and i think that's how people should live their life you know a little bit of moderation in, in their diet is great but you don't have to be like oh i only eat this and i only eat between these hours like you know i think being flexible is wicked I think that's what makes you ready for Unleashed, just to be flexible. <laughs> Dude, no doubt. All right, last question for me, and then I've got a bunch of guest questions, and we're going to call this a day. Um, a big figure in your life is your nan. She features pretty frequently in some of your stories. Uh, my absolute favorite uh, Instagram or Facebook post is where your nan is watching horrified at a Norway <laughs> video, like completely in terror, and she, you know, and you're sitting right there with her, and she knows you're safe, and she's still terrified for you. Um, what is the most useful thing your nan's ever said to you? If you had to sum it up in, like, one takeaway moment. Like, my dad's one to me would be, like, pee when you can, not when you have to. <laughs> but I don't, like, you know, my dad's a wise guy. Like, he's yeah, totally. Uh, what, you know, your nan's an important figure. What do you think? Just, if you had to sum it down to, like, one or two things. Nate, there's... <sighs> It'd be tricky. Like, I don't think she's got that many catchphrases necessarily, although she's bloody funny, because when people reach a certain age, I think they really stop giving a fuck. Yeah. She is at that point. Yeah. And, uh, That's awesome. So she's just really funny. But more than anything, just my nan, my nan is like one of my role models because she's just such a savage, you know? She's like 75 years old and she's running around, you know, trying to help out all her friends and do other stuff. And she's, you know, having trying to have a good time and everything. But she's so stern on some things, you know? She's got like her core principles and she's just unwavering, you know? Like treat people nice and all that, all that stuff. And... That that's why that's why my nan's my role model. But as far as catchphrases phrases go, I don't don't really have that much. Although I will say that my biggest fear in life is upsetting my nan. Not necessarily f for making her upset, but because she would absolutely take her slipper off and whack me with it if I ever did anything to upset her. Like absolutely, I w I probably wouldn't go home for a while. Just let the let it simmer. Yeah. Let it simmer down. <laughs> All right, that's smart. So that's the end of the kind of the talking points I wanted to talk about, and I put it out on the on the gram. DM me if you've got any questions for Renorton. And I got more questions than I've ever had any other time I've posted that. I don't know if it's just nice. more people listening Thanks now people. because uh, more people want to talk to you or whatever. Um, I did an interesting point was I had zero marriage proposals for you, whereas I had some for Rush and for Benny when I put it out there. So I don't know if that makes you feel good or bad. Or... It makes me feel good. I'll never get married. All right, I had a couple of questions. First one then. I had a couple that were like along the same vein, but the, the one that summed up best is probably Teal Morgan. If you had to leave a send member of the takeout forever, which takeout and who and what? And which takeout and who? <laughs> oh, tricky. I, I think... Just follow your heart. Quick fire. I mean, I love them all, but I would, I would drop Adrian off. 
I'll be the same, buddy, at, in, like, Tennessee or somewhere, you know, like, somewhere with a really thick, thicker Southern American accent. I yeah. think that'd be hilarious. I think it'd be a good vlog. Uh, Jack Gunter asks, what are your, like, what's your number one workflow tip to get Unleashed videos out so fast? For people who don't know, the Unleashed events happen on, like, you know, one day, and then usually the video is done that night, which is not easy. There's a lot of cameras involved, a lot of drones, a lot of, a lot of extra peripheral activities, um, and the turnaround time on them is insane. What's your one best tip to turn, turn around videos faster? Mate, be super harsh with your cuts and your selects. Don't be like, oh, it's an okay shot, just like straight to the point, yes or no, and get through, get the, big, the biggest bottleneck is sorting through your footage. The quicker you get through that, the quicker you can go into your edits, and I also think planning them out and having the song and the vibe to the video that you want is huge. Okay, that's a good one. Lenny Joa asks, can you change the spelling on the sender's YouTube intro to correct from efficient to efficient spelled correctly? Well, it's technically efficient at the moment, which is it's, uh, it's, it's French. My mum emails it's, me about it constantly, and I'm like, mum, he's not going to change it. But mate, I'll, you know, I'll tell him. you know, you know how I was on about like kids asking questions. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, I look at my notifications. I'm like, cool, people are commenting on my YouTube videos, and it's like, eh. Efficient is spelt wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God. Uh, this is a lame comment. But I, I appreciate that people point it out. I would love to lie about it and tell people that it's like, a you know, in jest, that we're so efficient we can't even spell efficient right, you know, but it's totally not the case. And uh, me and Adrian put that together a while back now, and it was late at night, and I've, I, I looked at it. I spell-checked it on the... Um, on After Effects, and I was like, yep, yeah, all looks good to me, and Adrian looked at it, but obviously English is his second language, and we're like, cool, and then someone pointed it out to us, like, the next day that we used it, we were so proud of our YouTube intro, and someone pointed it out, and we were like, oh, fuck. And, I mean, um, it's it's one of the things I get messaged about frequently, and, like, I don't run your YouTube channel, <laughs> you know? It's like, it's your channel, you, like, it's your things, why are you messaging me about his things? Like, they, I, don't, I can't help you. I don't know what Donald Trump's doing, why are you messaging me about that? Totally, man. Um, next question coming from my recent, recently departed, uh, back to Austria, sidekick Andy Bruner. He asks, what's your bra size? <laughs> That's a little joke. You don't have to answer that one. I just thought it was pretty funny. Mate, 47-inch chest. Goon, goon train. Sam Every day is chest day. Have you ever been sick paddling at HPP? Lots of people can't paddle there. They can't stomach it. Um, HPP is the Nottingham Whitewater course in England where you spend a lot of time, where I spend a lot of time. Um, I know I personally have already been sick there like maybe one or two times. Um, but I do feel like I have more iron constitution than some people. I know some people real, really struggle with it there. Have you ever struggled? I think in 10 years of kayaking there, I've gotten sick three times. First time I was really sick, and then I was immune. I never got sick after that for like eight years, and then I took a little bit of a break from kayaking in Nottingham, and it was big day. The, the, the quality of water is always worse after a heavy rainfall. And uh, it was it was absolutely filthy. I went out there and I was like, yeah, I'll be good. I'm I'm immune to this, you know. I'm invincible. And uh, it absolutely took me out for a few days. So yeah, I mean, it, I I have gotten sick from there, but it's nowhere near as bad as people make out. And I think it also gets a reputation from the National Student Rodeo. You know, like students go drink every piece of alcohol in sight, and then obviously throw up and feel rubbish for a few days, and we're like that that Trent water, you know, it was nothing to do with the 12 shots, six beers and, and five, five vodka drinks I had. It was breakfast. Yeah, it was, it was the water quality. I remember being a student there. It was a boozy time. Um, Ollie surf 22 has a two part question, but I only want you to answer the second part. 
Dude, Ollie Surf rocks. I know him. Part one. Why did Bren unfollow me? Part two. How long did it take to make unleaded Quebec happen? And I assume that's a spelling error to mean unleashed Quebec. Um, but just how, how long did it take from idea um, seed to like 2017 idea fruit? Um, I answer the first question. Ollie, you rock. If I unfollowed you, it's because I followed too many people and I was sick of random stuff popping up on my account. And then I basically tried to unfollow everyone and refollow people. I will refollow you the next time I look at my phone, which will probably be the next 10 seconds. <laughs> and uh, Anyway, Un- Unleashed happened. We had talked about it for a while because there was an amazing event called the Whitewater Grand Prix, which is sort of the starting point for this. It was amazing. For various reasons, the Grand Prix stopped happening and we waited a long time to see if the organiser would bring it back and unfortunately it didn't and it didn't seem like there was ever going to be a point where it would come back and we were like, well, fuck it, we'll, you know, we'll, do our own, we'll do our own event out here because the Whitewater is just of a different breed out here. And so it, it was probably about eight months from the time that Sen started and we talked about doing an Unleashed event to the first Unleashed. It was it happened so fast. It was wild. And Seth, you were there that first year. It was such a cool year to me because it was definitely like... It was the perfect... I couldn't imagine a more perfect water levels year that just always seemed to work out exactly right. Like every time we'd arrive at a place, it'd be like, it's too high or too low. But then the day of the competition, it would be perfect flow. Like perfect flow for Ruins Wave, which oh, almost man. like some years Ruins Wave comes in four days for the whole year. Totally. And it happened to be the day that you were planning a competition. It was perfect. Great flows for Bodacross on the Rouge, which is a wider window than some of the others, but still like really great. That it just it kept panning out like the day we arrived. Uh, perfect, like perfect flows for Bass Cachet, Giant Slalom Race. And it was tons too high Mate. 12 hours before we raced it was like oh i don't know if we're gonna race here but be here at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning and we'll find out like I, and Mate. then it was perfect and then the last day we paddled um a, comp- a big trick competition at molly wave which literally i have spent day like f- i have weeks of my life waiting in the parking lot of that wave for it to come in because it's too low or too high and we arrive and it's a perfect flow, but with heavy ice. And with after an hour of waiting, it was perfect. Like, I couldn't, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't fathom. Clear. I couldn't fathom how this one week of event could it was even physically possible because it never happens. Like I have like separately, I've wasted weeks of my life for each of these places waiting for the level to be correct, and then we just like roll through like a big crowd of thirty people, and everything's great. Yeah, mate, I think the universe just really wanted that event to happen. Oh. And the coolest thing to me is just how how much the athletes got behind the event because we were definitely like, I know we're pretty young, but this is a cool idea and if we all come together and work at this, we can make something cool happen. But this is almost an experiment at this point and if we pull it off, then there's going to be future events and we don't pull it off, I'm sorry. But, you know, like I think it's, I think it's a cool enough idea that it's worth trying and everyone was so supportive in that event you know athletes were helping us to film media with their cameras they were like sharing the footage with us they were blowing it up on social media all sorts of stuff just being really great to work with and that was like a community event to me you know it's just so special all those memories of people just working together to make something happen i agree 100 percent uh last question then from the audience from matt mcdermott who would win in a fight between send and torrid Torrid's another boy band, kike boy band. Dude, I like the Torrid kids. They're wicked, they're but wicked, yeah. but they're 
I mean, they're not even close to the strength level of myself or Adrian alone. Dane's super competitive, so if we told him it was it was a competition, Dane would win for sure because that's his nature of his competition. Dane is coming in first, so myself and Adrian could almost just sit back and uh, and you know and wait and watch while Dane wins the competition and step in if we needed it, and then. Caleb's Canadian and really nice, so he'd be able to apologize afterwards. You know, it's like nothing personal, but it was a question on Seth's podcast and the people wanted to know. And uh, I'm sorry about that uppercut. <laughs> and, uh, I, mean, I don't make the questions. The people ask the questions. You know? like, I'm, no, just, I'm just a vessel. It's a good question. I, I love the Torrid boys. They're sick kayakers, They're sick. rad people, great, but yeah. they, they would not win in a fight. Not even close. I mean, not to be big-headed, but I'm from Warrington. Like, what are they thinking? Like... All right, that's it. That's all the questions I have. That's all the talking points. We've talked for a long time, but I really appreciate you coming in. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Bren. Where can people follow you? Where can they keep up with you if they live under a rock and they don't already uh, keep track of your movements? Um, if you guys want to check out my Instagram, that's just bren.orton. And then the biggest thing is mine and Adrian Matterns' YouTube channel, which is Senders. Um, please go check that out. And we're actually working on a, a new... F- uh, episode format which is going to come out soon and I'm just so, so stoked for people to see it and interact with the YouTube channel but definitely Instagram and YouTube is the best way to, to follow along with the adventures and all the all the behind the scenes fun stuff and uh, yeah just huge thanks to everyone that follows it and supports the dreams and everything and I hope you all have a sick spring summer winter of kayaking and uh, hopefully I'll catch you on the water at some point as a segue to that, I think when I interviewed Adrian, he did say if you guys got 10,000 subs on that channel this year, you and him would cage fight. So... It, it was it was 20,000, okay. and, and I'm obviously tied into it because Adrian... If Adrian says it, it's happening. Yeah, we, we've got to do it. But my, my uh, restriction to this, to follow on from Adrian's point in the podcast, is that I will fight him if we get to 20,000 subscribers in 2019, but it will be at a weight class... And so Adrian will have to cut down from 197 pounds down to 155. It's possible. It's physically <laughs> if, if, possible. Yeah, and I'd have to go from like 175 to 155, which it's is gonna totally It's going to crush you doable. both, and I'm going to be happy to see cool. it. So if you don't, please go and check out subscribe. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for listening. This has been Question Never Thought to Ask. I will see you in two weeks' time. Peace.